0: This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Turn your great idea into reality with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project, whether you're showcasing your work or selling products of any kind. With beautiful templates and the ability to customize just about anything, you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. And if you do get stuck, Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support is there to help. Head to squarespace.com slash manliness for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code manliness to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. We all want to be more productive, and when we buckle down to do so, we typically try to figure out ways to better manage our time. My guest today, though, argues that focusing on managing your time is only part of the productivity picture. You also need to learn how to better manage your attention. His name is Chris Bailey, and his latest book is Hyperfocus, How to Be More Productive in a World of Distraction. Today on the show, Chris shares research-backed advice on how to improve your powers of concentration and why doing so is more important than ever. We delve into why you need to be more intentional about directing your attention why multitasking actually causes you to be less productive And the surprisingly long time it takes to get refocused when you get distracted Chris then shares tactics you can start using today to become more focused We then shift gears and discuss the importance of having periods of time when you're not focused Especially when you're planning for the future Chris shares how you can organize your day to get the benefits of being both focused and unfocused There's lots of actionable advice in this episode After it's over, check out the show notes at aom.is hyperfocus And Chris joins me now via clearcast.io Chris Bailey, welcome back to the show. Brad McKay, thank you so much for having me back. So, we had you on, I think it was, might have been a few years ago. Time just sort of bleeds together. Is it Maybe that last long? Year. I think it might have been. Like, sometimes, like, I'll have a guest on, and I'm like, oh, it was just like last year. And then it was like, no, it was three years ago.
1: Yeah, time um, flies, doesn't it? Especially when you're doing a lot of work and that's fun, that you're totally. Focused on, immersed in?
0: Right, it's flow. We'll talk about the flow state here in a bit. So uh, we had you on to talk about the Productivity Project. Uh, you write about productivity. You're a quote-unquote, as you said, productivity expert. You got a new book out called Hyper Focus: How to Be More Productive in a World of Distraction. So, I mean, when people often think about productivity, they're often thinking about, well, how do I beat distraction? But you kind of make a distinction between the two. There's a difference between being productive and... And a difference between being focused. What are, what are the differences?
1: Oh, absolutely. It, it it kind of it's funny how your ideas evolve over time on on different things. So the definition that that I use to define productivity has evolved too. So I used to think of it as you know, especially when I first started exploring this whole productivity racket, I, I used to think about it as doing more and more and more, faster, faster, faster. But over time, is I've kind of whittled away. At the preconceived notions I had on the idea, I, I realized, you know, it, it's basically just accomplishing what's important. And, you know, it's not about how much we produce, rather, it's about how much we accomplish. And what's important changes depending on where we're at. And so, if we're at home, you know, diving deep into a conversation that we're having with our wife, a loved one, that's what's important there. But at work, on the other hand, maybe checking email and getting on top of that might be important. Maybe mentoring a new employee that joins our team is important. Maybe if we're doing a podcast, helping people hopefully become more productive by the end of it is what's important. But I I think when we're focused, focus is essentially one part of productivity. I, I view productivity as this more holistic idea that everything contributes to. How we manage our time contributes to it. How we manage our energy contributes to it. But most of us are all right at managing those two aspects of our life. We we can keep a calendar. We know that we have more energy when we work out, but it's that focus that is this third part of productivity in addition to time and energy where we become immersed in what is important hopefully instead of just becoming immersed in our phone. And so it, it's a part of the bigger picture of productivity, but I think it's the most Important one today. You know, you mentioned the, the subtitle of the book and it talks about, you know, living in a world of distraction. We are, we really are distracted more today. The studies around that are so fascinating uh, than we ever have been before.
0: Yeah, and we'll get into some of the research here because cuz what I love about the book and your previous book too is you you, you dig in to psychological studies, sociology, try to f- figure out like what actually works. And you know, going with that idea, you know, the distinction between focused and productivity, I think it's an important one you made because you can be focused at playing Tetris. Yeah. But you're not necessarily being productive at that, yeah, at that moment. Yeah, if
1: you're not focused on what's actually important, then what's the point of being focused, right? Right. And this is the, you know, something that I keep finding, that I keep rediscovering in my own behavior and other people's behavior in the research, is that what lies at the heart of us becoming more productive is this deliberateness, this intentionality, which absolutely has to precede whatever it is that we do. So, in any moment of any day, we're either working with intention, there's intention behind what we're doing, you know, we choose what we do, what we focus on before we focus or do it, or we're working on autopilot mode just in response to what comes our way. And I think our productivity can be pegged to the breakdown of how much of our time we spend with intention. So, intention, attention without intention is essentially just wasted energy in that way. All right. So, let's get into the science of
0: attention. So, like, what happens? What's going on in our brain whenever we pay attention? To something are there like certain parts that um, fire
1: up or you know light up on you know MRIs or whatever yeah uh, usually most of our brain is aligned in, you know our task positive network is, is what it's called in research is is active when we're focused on something which involves the logical centers of our brain it involves even the perceptual centers of our brain and in research it's known as being perceptually Coupled. So, all of our senses are coupled with what we're doing. And same with our thoughts, which are like our sixth sense. I I like to think of it in those terms. And so, our mind and body are both in sync with what we're doing. So, there's fascinating research on this too. We even blink in accordance with what we're focused on. And so, if you're listening to this podcast, and There's a pause after something we say. You might take a blink. Same with in an audiobook. Same as if you're watching a TED Talk or a speaker, or you're having a conversation. We blink, I think, every 15 to 20 seconds or so. But we do so in accordance with our attention. And so, it's this fascinating idea where we're essentially immersed in something. And I think
0: one of the things you highlight in the book is that, you know, we have this idea that we can multitask and there are certain things we can multitask, but for the yeah. most part, we can only attend to one thing at a time, really. Like, and yeah. it's not like we're doing both at the same time. We're, we're switching between, we're switching our attention between all these different things really fast.
1: Yeah, and and this is, I think, you you know, a lot of people mention multitasking, but without really working from the same definition. So what we say, you you know, what we refer to when we're saying multitasking is really, like you said, just task switching, moving our attentional spotlight from one thing to another. And so when we do this, things take about fifty percent longer. It takes us that much longer to read a passage, to to finish a task. And but multitasking is when we try to pay attention to things concurrently, which there are also a lot of misconceptions out there about. So I mean, okay, what is I
0: mean, okay, how can we do that if how can we multitask? Is it possible to multitask? Because I've heard I've heard I've read different things like, oh, it's not it's it is possible. Like, oh no, it is impossible to multitask. Can is it is it possible?
1: It is, but we can't do it very well. So we can't actively focus on more than one thing at one time. Uh, but there are some things that we can do that don't take any focus. And so, maybe you're deep in a conversation with somebody as you're walking down the street, um, and you're focused completely uh, on that conversation. You're totally immersed in it, the, the state of total immersion that I like to call hyper-focus. And you're really not thinking about the walking that you're doing. You're really not thinking about the hand gestures, the the gesticulation that you're doing. You're really not thinking about maybe the gum that you're chewing. We we can do a lot of things out of habit, and when we do something out of habit, it doesn't occupy our working memory, our, our uh, so our essentially just our very short term memory, uh, like the tasks that we do. But where we run into trouble. And where our attention begins to become overwhelmed is when we try to focus on more than one complex thing at one time. And so, w- w- because we only have so much attention to give to the world around us in one moment, I believe we have about 40 bits that we can tend to in any one moment, but yet there are so many things that we can focus on in our environment. Um, and because our attention is constrained in this way, uh, we can only process so much in the moment. And especially when a task is complex, it requires and it asks more of our attention by default. And that's where we get, begin to run into troubles. Uh, if you were trying to carry on a conversation with two people at once, you would very quickly notice that you don't have the capacity to do so, uh, but you do have the capacity to tend to a few habits while you do something complex. And so, you know, we can run on a treadmill while we listen to music, while we look at the TV that's up in front of us and process that a little bit, but any more than that, and once you uh, try to do something more complex at the same time, that that's really when you run into trouble, right? And then, as you point out, like we have
0: so much, you know, so much competing for our attention. Like you might be in your inbox one moment, and then you go to Twitter the next, and then you're to a website, and you're back to your inbox, and all that switching. Yeah. You talk about how it it leaves. Attentional residue, right? So let's say you're working on a report, and you go over to e- your inbox really quick because you got a notification. You check it, and then you go back. You talk about how there's like there's still a bit of attention lingering on that inbox, so we, it, it
1: takes a while for us to get back into focus on the report that we're writing. Exactly, and this is, I think the biggest costs of constantly switching between things is if we could totally switch from one thing to the next to the next without any uh, fragments of the previous task occupying this working memory that we have. I I like to call this working memory capacity our attentional space in the book. But there are fragments of the previous thing. So, if you finish up a call that's uh, very heated with somebody, or you're in, in this argument, and then you try to answer email, you're going to be less efficient at doing that. Certain things help you become a better custodian of this attentional space. The meditation is, is a very good example of one where it's been shown to lead us to have less attentional residue as we switch from one thing to another. But there are always these fragments, which is, you know, not only are do we have to shift from one context to another when we switch from one task to another, but there we also... Are, are not able to bring our full attention to it at the start. One of the most fascinating studies that I had the, the chance to uncover was that when we're doing work in front of a computer... We can only focus or on average, we only focus on one thing for 40 seconds before we switch to doing something else. So we're, in other words, very productive doing an Excel sheet or writing a report in Word, whatever it might be. But then for seemingly no reason, we go over to checking Instagram on our phone. We check an email notification in the corner of the screen. And so it, it you know, it brings, you know, th- this technology that we use, it brings with it all this distraction that that is really quite costly. You know, attentional residue is one of the costs, but working with less focus, always having this diluted attention, not being able to remember as much because we process things with a different part of our brain when we multitask. All of these are costs that add up when we don't manage our attention properly.
0: Yeah, I thought it was one of the big takeaways for me that really opened my eyes was, or surprised me, was whenever we are, say, working on a report or an Excel spreadsheet or reading or something, we're focused, we switch over to email, and then we switch back, and then, you know, I can just get right back in the groove because I was already in the groove. It takes like 26 minutes
1: to get back into that focused state. Oh yeah, again. and and it depends on <laughs> that this is there's curious research on that too where it depends whether you're interrupted by an external source or an internal source. And so we have this this attention mechanism in in our brain that is drawn to Anything that is one of three things—it's drawn to anything that is pleasurable, it's drawn to anything that is threatening, and it's drawn to anything that is novel. And so we even have a novelty bias in our brain, where our brain releases more dopamine, which is the the chem, the, one of the pleasure chemicals, whenever we focus on something that's shiny or new and novel, like a like an email notification or scrolling through a bunch of fitness feeds on Instagram. But when we have this novelty-seeking behavior, where we seek out something that is novel and pleasurable. We even seek out threats. That's why so many of us are glued to the news. It takes us 29 minutes. <laughs> more than 20, 26 is the average between the internal distractions and the external distractions, which are uh, roughly even. We distract ourselves as much as we're distracted from other people. It's actually about a 50-50 split. But when we're distracted by something we do, it takes us 29 minutes to get back on track. And before we resume doing that task, we tend to, I believe it's 2.26 other tasks before resuming. So we don't just tend to one thing and then go back to, to that, you know, Excel sheet or whatever it is that we were doing before. We work on two other things before resuming that task. If we're interrupted by somebody external to us. And so, notification that comes in, whatever it might be, uh, co-workers stopping by our office to ask how our weekend was. It takes us 23 minutes to get back on track after that point. And so, we we fare a bit better, but still, the the costs are pretty great. And if you don't believe that 29 minute figure, you know, I, I had my doubts at first, but so I started to try to observe this in my own behavior in my own life. Before figuring out what I could do about it and in the lives of other people. And, you know, I saw this when I woke up in the morning, you know, I'd wake up and my phone would wake me up. And so I would bounce over to Instagram because I got two notifications overnight. You know, I found that I got two emails overnight. And so I tended to those. I bounced around between kind of a loop of five or five or six apps and before i know it knew it 26 minutes had gone by and so we we can observe this pattern in our own behavior not only does it take a long time to get back on track when we're distracted or interrupted completely but we sh- we shift around our attention quite a bit every 40 seconds and so all of these figures you know figures aren't too compelling you know the statistics are never too motivating but I think when you take all of this stuff together, we are in a state of divided attention when we work. Every 40 seconds, we switch. And we don't really have purpose. We don't have that intention behind what we're doing because we're drawn to anything that's novel, that's pleasurable, that's threatening. And so, we really have to get ahead of ourselves in this way.
0: To that point where you know, we're, our attention is divided, it takes a long time for us to get refocused after we you know, distract ourselves, or we are distracted. We might think we're getting a lot done by doing all this task switching, but yeah, all that it slows you down. It actually makes you less. You, know, you actually get less done. You might think you're getting a lot done, but you're actually getting less done because you're not in that focused state anymore.
1: And that's the thing with our attention is we look at how busy we are as a proxy for how productive we are because. When we do knowledge work for a living and we do brain work, it's impossible to measure. We don't, many of us, most of us don't work on an assembly line anymore where we can measure our output in widgets every day. So we made 20 widgets today instead of 10 10 widgets yesterday. So we are twice as productive. And so we look at how busy we are as a proxy for how productive we are. And so, the more emails we answer, the busier we think we are, the more productive we think we are. The more tweets we respond to and read, the more times we refresh uh, CNN or the New York Times. Um, The busier we are, the more productive we think we are, but really so often uh, the opposite is the case. And that's kind of the state of our attention too, is uh, we've never been so busy, but have accomplished so little to tie it back to that original definition of productivity, accomplishing what's important. That's how we should use our attention.
0: So, I mean, we live in a distracted world uh, because we have all this stuff, smartphones, a computer in our pocket at any moment where anybody can reach us or we can, if we're curious about something, we can find it. So, I mean, have these devices... Like shrunk. So you talk about we have this attentional space. Yeah. Has this stuff like shrunk our attentional space because we we I don't know we we don't use our attention as much or we we do a poor job of using it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We we have less attention to give to the world around us, and the the more deliberately we learn to manage our attention, the. You know the the amount. This is the curious thing. There there's a lot of brain training apps out there, but research shows that they don't really work. um, (laughs) Over time, once you stop doing them, you kind of lose all the gains that you made on them. But you can actually grow the amount of attention you have to give to the world around you. And so you can grow your working memory capacity, this attentional space. And so you're able to uh, dive deeper into more complex ideas in the moment. You know, the more distracted you are, the less you're able to delve deep into what's actually complex on a daily basis. And, and one proof and way of doing that is meditation. You know, meditation is a brain training technique where you uh, train your ability, to, your ability to give focus to what's in front of you in the present moment, as opposed to um, where, wherever your attention wants to go to whatever is novel, pleasurable or threatening. And it, so it totally is possible to not only make your attention bigger and not only be able to uh, take on things that are more complex, but it's possible that your attention can almost wither over time. You know, it it, it decreases as your energy levels falter. For example, it decreases the more distracted you are, and your with your distractibility level. And so it really does. Well, orbit around these different ideas. There there's there is one kind of thing that I mentioned in the book and it's the quality of our attention. You know, the research kind of points to three measures that we can use to measure our progress with how focused we're able to become in the moment. The first is how long we can focus on one thing for. Um, and so past that 40 second mark. You know, if you think back to your last most productive day where you became immersed in conversations and what you were writing, you probably held your focus for more than 40 seconds. The second measure is how long your mind wanders for before you're able to catch it. And so, that's kind of a measure of how aware you are of your thoughts. And the third is how much of your time you spend with intention. So, how long you can focus for, uh, how long your mind wanders for before you catch it, and how much of your time you spend with intention. And uh, I think the better the quality of your attention, the better the quality of your life, because you can focus for longer and, and delve deeper into experiences. You can notice when your mind wanders away from maybe a meaningful conversation with your partner at the pub. You can notice uh, when you're not working with intention. You can spend your time with greater intentionality behind what you're doing so that you can do things with purpose and not on this autopilot mode. And the more distracted we are, the lower the quality of our attention and the lower the quality of our life. Um, because really, when you uh, look at a life, it's a, an accumulation of moments. And if each moment of your life, you're distracted, you're going to be living a distracted life and maybe burn through years of time, not really accomplishing or anything productive or meaningful. Yeah, I think that was, that was yeah, a big that takeaway. That got dark, but... No, uh, no, but, but it's uh, true.
0: Like I mean, what you're saying is our existence is what we pay attention to.
1: Yes. The, you know, what we pay attention to, that's... Our reality, right? If you pay attention to what you're angry about, you're going to become angry and become an angry person over time as those moments accumulate. But the same is true if you pay attention to what's productive and focus on that and do that, then you become a productive person. If you uh, focus on what's meaningful at home and your life with, by practicing things like gratitude, you become a gracious person. You become somebody who's deserved of of their of their success. And your life is, is enriched with meaning because of that. There, there's more fascinating science behind, uh, simply the depths of our relationships around how we manage our attention. You know how people put their phone face down on the table when, when they're with somebody. There's, there was this team of researchers that went out and looked at people at coffee shops. And what they observed in these coffee shop patrons was that On average, when somebody had their phone face down on the table in front of them, they had a good intention, an intention of focusing on what was there, which was the person that they were with. But on average, they checked their phone every three to five minutes. And when they surveyed people who checked their phone so often, you know, when their partner went up to go to the washroom, when there was a lull in the conversation, when they wanted to take a picture, whatever it was, they found that those people rated their connection with the person and the quality of their relationship, and how close they felt to the person as significantly lower than people who put their phones away. And, you know, speaking of the quality of our attention, this impacts almost every element of our life. And more research needs to be conducted on this. But the the less control we have over our attention, the research shows that we feel less autonomous with the work that we do, because it's kind of natural. We work more often on autopilot. Uh, We have lower levels of self-acceptance so we don't accept ourselves and, you know, try to compensate for our insecurities. We have lower levels of happiness and even life satisfaction when we have less control over our attention. And this starts when we're young, uh, which is, you know, it gives more concern to kids, how distracted kids are. The more text messages uh, that a kid sends, the less they rate the quality of their relationships, which is kind of ironic because why are they sending the text messages in the first place? And the less control a kid has over her attention, the less they feel like they can accept themselves or the less they feel like they have control over their life. So, you know, by managing our attention, we, we really can reclaim this, this big part of us that affects everything we experience.
0: So let's talk about how we can get into this hyper-focused yeah. state. So, it I mean, okay, it is possible to increase your attentional space. Absolutely. But you know, again, yeah. like the, we should focus first probably on the quality of our attention. And you, you've mentioned this throughout the, 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 our conversation so far, but the first step is just being intentional about your attention, like knowing what you're going to pay attention to.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, essentially there's there's the four steps. There's choosing an object of focus that's number 1 number 2 are, is taming the distractions around us number 3 is simply focusing because we've cleared all the brush out of the way and taming the distractions and the fourth is to bring our mind back to that object of intention when we notice that it's wandered to think of something else and so the the first idea it, when when we the the idea behind this is of course intention is is at the heart of productivity and so by setting intentions more often, we can work more deliberately and with intention. The rule of three, I think we talked about the rule of three last time, right? But it, it's, a, it's a very sticky rule, and our mind is wired to think in threes. And so, when we set three intentions at the start of the day, so we ask ourselves, by the time that this day is done, what three main things will I want to have accomplished? It's a very simple rule, but it essentially gives us something to focus on that's important throughout the day. And in the moment, we, we can also do this. One of my favorite rituals, I, I don't do it as often as I did anymore, but is setting an hourly awareness chime. So you set a timer on your phone for, for an hour or so. And when it goes off, ask yourself, you know, was I focusing on what? I, I had it set an intention for to do. how long was I focusing on it for? Was my mind wandering so you can kind of check up on the quality of your attention at that point point. and it, you know th- there are, there are a lot of different ways I cover many of them in the book, like the rule of three, like this hourly awareness chime, like uh finding our most consequential tasks, so the ones that have the They're the equivalent of the first domino in a line of 100 that once you tip it over, it sets off this cascading effect. So things like mentoring a new employee, for example, is infinitely more productive because it lets you accomplish what's important by making your team more productive and efficient. You know, whereas, you know, something else like just checking email might not have that same effect, even though you're dealing with what's latest and loudest. So that really is the first step, you know, intention has to precede attention. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple
0: job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done, ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards and scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience to apply. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate, through the site within the first day. If you're a hiring manager or you're a small business owner, you probably know the hassle of hiring people. This can save you a lot of time instead of having to post jobs on every single job board out there. It's just one and done with ZipRecruiter and ZipRecruiter is proactive and finds the right candidates for you and invite them to apply to your job. Fantastic. With results like that, no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com manliness. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness manliness. M-A-N-L-I-N-E-S-S. One more time, ziprecruiter.com slash manliness. Also by Squarespace. Take it from me, someone who's built a few websites. If you don't know how to code, creating a website is a huge pain in the rear. First off, you can try it yourself, learn how to code, but you're going to probably break the site. Super frustrating. Other option is hire a designer, but that can get pretty expensive really fast. If you don't have the cash, well, that's not an option either. This is where Squarespace comes in. With Squarespace, you can get a great looking website up in minutes and you can do it all yourself with just point and click of the mouse. It's fantastic. They got a lot of templates you can use, create a by award-winning designers, it's going to look great on laptop, desktop, smartphone, tablet—you name it. And they've got features where if you want to sell a product, they got e-commerce functionality, so you can sell stuff online—so books, art, whatever—you can do it there. You can also buy a domain through Squarespace, and also get the help you need through Squarespace's 24/7 award-winning customer support. Squarespace empowers millions of people—from designers to lawyers, artists to gamers, even restaurants and gyms—to turn great ideas into something real. It's like to try this out for a free trial. Go to squarespace.com/manliness, and when you're ready to launch use offer code manliness to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain again squarespace.com slash manliness for a free trial and ready to launch use offer code manliness to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and now back to the show yeah i think that's an important thing because if you don't have an intention you're going to let anything distract you right exactly and you know i've i focus i, I tend to be like very like this becomes very uh, a concern for me when i'm working on something that's particularly boring Yeah, like super boring. Cause that's when you're, that's when I know I'm going to be most distracted and most like, I want to go check whatever, but usually that boring stuff, you said, it's like, it's the important thing that will allow me to get more done down the road. So like mentoring the new employee, it's super boring. It's super time consuming, (laughs) but you want to be super focused on it because it's going to pay dividends down the road.
1: Yeah. And if you look at this is the odd thing about you know this second step taming distractions if you if you look at the most important aspects of your work they're usually they're usually not as fun as checking Facebook or or you know Twitter that like so many of the distractions that i face provide me with some source of validation in my life so you know going to Amazon To check my book ranking, checking my website analytics. But all of these things, you know, they provide us essentially with the three things that our mind is drawn to by default. Either they're pleasurable or they're threatening or they're novel. And they're always more of those three things than what we ought to be doing. You know, Facebook in the moment will always be a more attractive object of attention than what we truly ought to be accomplishing. The TV. Behind our wife or our girlfriend at the pub will always be a more attractive object of attention because it's more novel. It's more pleasurable. It's more threatening than the conversation. <laughs> if we're in a fight, though, we might focus on that instead. An email notification that comes in in the corner from somebody important. It's always or not important. Even if it's from Amazon announcing what Alexa features came out that week is always more attractive than, than the report that's in front of us. But. This is where taming distractions really uh, comes into play. So, you know, right now I'm, <laughs> I'm doing probably the most aversive thing in my work and I'm developing new speaking topics. So I do some public speaking and you have these topics and I hate defining them because it involves this. It's boring, like you said, it's frustrating, it's difficult, it's ambiguous, it's unstructured, which are all triggers of procrastination. As well and task aversion. And so, because, and so earlier this day, I printed off the outlines to them and I went to a coffee shop here in this small town in Canada that I live in. And I got a coffee. I left my phone at home. I left my laptop at home. I left every bit of technology that I have at home, except for my noise canceling headphones. I couldn't connect them to anything, but sometimes people have loud conversations and I just brought a pen. And so I had no choice but to work. On what was important. And this is the key, I think, when it comes to taming distractions, especially with the work that we find the most of which are often our most productive things, is when we eliminate every single potential object of attention that is more attractive in the moment than what we truly want to be doing, like truly want to be doing in the moment we want something else, we give ourselves no choice. But to focus on what is actually important on what we intend to accomplish. And so for this reason, taming distractions, we, it's more of a necessary tactic when we're doing something that, that our mind, we find our mind is resisting, but it just makes it so much more valuable because we're able to get into this hyper focused state where we're, we're totally. Immersed in what we're doing, we can focus on anything, right? We can focus on anything for forty seconds, <laughs> for example. But when we focus on something for longer than that point and become totally immersed in it, uh, you know, hyperfocus in this way is kind of this state that leads to flow, which which you mentioned off the top. I think this where we're totally immersed in what we're doing, and so it's uh, I, I think it's one of the most essential parts of managing our attention is taming the distractions that will derail us in the moment.
0: Yeah, I think I'm a big proponent of, you know, taming your distractions, like getting rid of them completely, doing the Odysseus method, right? Like tying yourself to the mast, so it's not even an option to look at the thing. Cause I think oftentimes people are like, well, I'll just like I'll constrain my, I'll uh, I'll restrain myself, right? I'll I'll use my self-discipline yeah. to not check it. It's like check Twitter or whatever. It's like, well, just block Twitter. Like, you know, there's and there, you've talked about different methods you can you can do to tame distractions. You know, one thing I've done is I've I've taken off Instagram off of my phone, you know, Twitter. I just ha- I don't even have email on my phone anymore. So like my phone is just, I can check a few things on the web and take phone calls and text messages, but that's about it. Um, And there's lots of apps. I think you mentioned a few in the book and we have, we'll link to some on the site where you can block certain websites for certain periods of time. That's something I do, but I I find that more useful than trying to just use my, my my grit and self-discipline to not look at those things.
1: Oh yeah. Because in the moment we have very little of that. And this is, you know, This is what I found as a, you know, quote unquote productivity expert is, you know, I felt and fell into the same pitfalls, even though I researched this stuff for a living of tending to my smartphone too often, of tending to email too often, of meetings even expanding to fit how much time I have for them. And so taming them ahead of time really is the, uh, the best way to get out of this state of distraction because in the moment, we will be attracted by other things. And so we have to get ahead of ourselves. That's, it's just the, the way our brain is wired, right? And this aided our chances that survival, by the way. So, uh, you know, I- instead of becoming totally immersed in a fire that we were creating for, for the, the tribe we were living in at the time and and neglecting the saber-toothed tiger that was encroaching in on our, our environment. We noticed the rustling in the trees. And so this distractibility actually aided our chances at survival. We noticed the tiger approaching. And so we survived to see another day. Evolution rewards distraction. But, and so, you know, we notice ourselves gravitating to the pleasures too. If you, if you ever take a walk through nature, your mind, naturally focuses on the berries on on a tree instead of on the leaves because we evolved to look at the pleasure in our environment, in our environment. Uh, you know when when a, somebody who's beautiful walks by we notice ourselves paying attention to them but these days you know the nearest tigers are at the zoo and food is far and plentiful uh, and so we tend to, to the distractions. The the same ev- evolution that's built into our brain that that has aided our chances at survival compromises our focus and our productivity today. So we really it really is an impulse. And so if we can regain control over that by taming them ahead of time. We can really get ahead of ahead of it. So
0: okay, tame distractions. Get rid of just get rid of stuff that distract. And I think this requires you know you to do sort of an audit of yourself. Like what is the most? And There's like websites. There is yeah. apps that can help you figure out what you spend most of your time on, and then just eliminate those. <laughs> um, and you mentioned okay, stay focused. And one thing you can do is set that that chime every hour yeah. to make sure that you are still focused on the thing you intended to to focus on. How long is it possible to stay in this? focused state? Is it something you can do an hour, two hours? What does the science say?
1: The science is curious about that. And it shows that the deeper we care about what we're doing, the the easier focus becomes because we kind of deplete our focus whenever we have to exercise control over it. And so if you never have to Exercise control over your attention because you care about the work you're doing so much and it's pleasurable. It's novel. It's threatening when the, the challenge of doing it is roughly equal to your skill level. So it's, it's a challenge and it asks more of you. Then we can focus on something for quite a long time. So, you know, and sometimes we have no choice. If you're launching a, a satellite into space, for example, <laughs> you might use up all of this this uh, mental energy, because you have to exercise control, especially after the course of a few hours. But it's pleasurable, or it's threatening, it's novel, it's challenging. And so, we need fewer breaks when we do it. And this is why I think one of the best pieces of productivity advice out there, uh, people sometimes are drawn to productivity advice in my work, I find, for the wrong reasons. Because <laughs> sometimes somebody finds that they don't care about the work that they're doing, and then they try to Come up with 20 hacks for becoming more productive every day. But really, the root problem is that they don't care and they're Mm -hmm. not naturally, intrinsically motivated by what they're doing. And so when we care about what we're doing, we're able to focus on something for much, much longer. This is why, you know, there's no statistic out there that says that this is how much attention you have for something. There are some studies that say, yeah, we can focus on something for around 20 minutes and then need a break. So the Pomodoro technique, where we focus essentially in intervals for 25 minutes on something, then let our attention rest for five, then 25, then five, then 25, then a longer break eventually after one of those 25-minute sessions. Um, This is why TED Talks are about 18 to 20 minutes long because that's kind of one one soft limit to our attention, but it really depends on what we're doing.
0: So I think the takeaway here is, first, you know know what you're going to focus on, Eliminate distractions because if if you're distracted and switching between distraction or between these different tasks, you're going to have attentional residue. You're going to take longer to get focused again. Make sure you're focused. And I think, yeah, like I think most people are like, yeah, I want to get focused. It's if I'm focused, I'm going to get so much done. It's going to be great. Life's going to be amazing. But you are in the book. You argue like there's, there's some downsides to being intently focused on something all
1: the time. Yeah. And that is, you know, we want to be focused on stuff all the time, but we just, we can't do it. You know, we need to rest our attention. We need to recharge our attention because, uh, you know, like I was saying, we deplete our attention whenever we exercise control over it. And so, the more you need to exercise control over your focus in your life, the more you'll find yourself having to realign to what's actually important every day. So, that that's, I think, a a big downside is we simply don't have the energy to focus and then we burn out. Then we have less energy to uh, to approach our work with later on and, you know, working these crazy hours, it sometimes helps us in the short run, but in the long run, it's a recipe for just a a productivity rut.
0: But also on the flip side, when you're focused, Mm -hmm. you are getting, you're, you're missing out on the benefits of not being focused. People don't think about that. And that was like the second half of the book was this, (laughs) you talk about the, the benefits of what you call scatter focus.
1: Yeah. So what
0: is scatter focused, and why is it good to, what are the benefits of sort of letting your mind wander all the time?
1: So there is this mode of our brain and it's the default mode. And it's whenever we rest our attention, we activate what is called the, the default mode network. So it's a, it's a nicely named network because it's what we default to. And the beautiful part, about this network is it is scattered across our mind. And so you probably noticed this, you know, the last time you let your mind be, whether you're taking a shower, whether you were waking up and your phone was in the other room, which is a marvelous thing to do to just keep a, get an old fashioned alarm clock, have your wristwatch wake you up, whatever, whatever it is, get your phone the hell out of your bedroom because you will activate this, this resting mode of your mind. And it's scattered across your mind. And as such, the activity we experience whenever we're in this mode is very, very random. You'll find yourself thinking about things you know, the knowledge you accumulated when you were studying yesterday, your past experiences, your fantasies, what you'll do after listening to this podcast. And what I found in the research is not only is this mode random, it helps us kind of rest and recharge, but it also has two other benefits in addition to letting us rest up our attention. Because the more we need to regulate our attention, the more we need to rest our attention. And so, in addition to letting us rest... Because we deplete our attention whenever we exercise control over it. The second beautiful part about this, this mode, I, I can't, I personally can't get enough of this mode right now because I'm in this long-term planning stage with my work, with my speaking topics, with the books and stuff like that. But what the research shows is that we plan for the future a ton when we are letting our mind rest and just be. Whenever we're letting our mind rest, maybe in the shower, for example, we think about the future and we plan for the future 48% of the time. And in research, this is called our mind's prospective bias because we're setting intentions for what we'll do later that day in the office when we're taking the shower. We'll set intentions for what we want to eat for dinner that day. We'll set intentions for what we're going to do at the gym, how many deadlifts we're going to do that day. We'll take charge over our attention because we let our mind rest. And in that 48%, if you break it down, break it down now, you know, I love the numbers behind this. We think about the immediate future, just later on in that day, forty-four percent of the time, we think about the next day forty percent of the time. So we're usually planning, we're setting intentions, we're taking charge, and we think we think about the past quite a bit in this mode. But the research shows that this isn't really the case. We only think about the past twelve percent of the time, and you know the the rest of the time. We're thinking about the present 28% of the time and the rest of the time we're thinking about ideas. And so we plan when we're in this mode. And if we talk about working with greater intention, it is impossible to set an intention when you're, or nearly impossible when you're focused on what it is that you're doing. So in this way, so much of productivity is about taking this step back from what we have to do over the course of the day. And, and the third idea is that we are able to connect ideas whenever we're in this mode. So we get to rest our attention, we plan, and we connect ideas. So when our mind bounces from the past to the present to the future, we are able to connect all three. We In the shower, we think about how we resolved a dispute at work uh, two years ago, and then we think about a dispute that we're having at work later that day and how we're going to solve it the same way. We think about the ideas, the book that we were reading the day before, and connect that to a conversation we're going to have with our spouse later on that day. We're able to connect the past to the present to the future, which lets uh, lets us unearth these marvelous ideas that we would never get when to, when we're doing something else. Right. Yeah. Because if you're, I, 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 it's, it's funny. Yeah. All my good ideas come when I'm not trying
0: to get good ideas. Right. Because like, yeah. what, When you're trying to like, okay, guys, like, you, like, I think that's why brainstorming sessions are so ineffective. you're like, all right, guys, come up with a good idea, and like, you you're so focused on coming up with a good idea that you don't see yourself, like all the other options out there when you're in sort of a, a wandering, scatter-focused yeah. state.
1: And one of the best things if you are doing a brainstorming meeting is to ask people not to have coffee beforehand and to have it first thing in the morning. And, and the reason for that is because coffee kind of narrows in our attention. And so we it's easier to focus when we consume caffeine. And first thing in the morning is usually when people are kind of easing into the day, they have less energy, they're still waking up. And after we wake up is when our, our mind is the least inhibited. It's when our prefrontal cortex, which generates the ideas in our mind, is the least inhibited. And so, we fire up this default mode of our brain. Maybe, you know, if your, your team is full of morning birds, for example and you find that everybody has a lot of energy and likes their coffee in the morning i have have a drink or two after work if that's a ritual that that you guys enjoy and because this alcohol has a weird effect over our attention. It makes us less aware that our mind is wandering, and it makes our mind wander more often, but it also lets down the guard of our attention, which lets our mind wander more (laughs) frantically and and all over the place to not focus on anything in particular. And so, you know, there there are fascinating ways. And also, have the meeting (laughs) in a messy room because the, these these serve as powerful cues that we should connect disparate ideas. It, it's a it's a weird one, but the worst place you could have a brainstorming meeting is in a clean office or a meeting room, because that sense of order actually affects our focus as well. Right. So maybe like
0: have two places. Like you have like your focus place where it's clean. It looks like an Apple ad, right? Yeah. And then <laughs> the you have your, Johnny Ive room. Right. You have your creative place, which is just a mess. Right. And you yeah. go there when you're. Another thing that I've seen research on that helps get you into that scatter, like that default mode, and get you more creative is staying up all night. Like getting less sleep can do that. And I've, I've done it before, I've pulled all night, every, every now and then. I don't. Dude, all that for yeah. sometimes when I'm like, having a hard time with uh, an article or something I'm working on I'll stay up all night and the, the benefits of that first there's no distractions because everyone's asleep no one's sending you yeah. emails no one's tweeting no one's doing anything and the other it's just like I my your your brain kind of goes to mush a little bit and you start getting some some great ideas. And then, and of course it's not focused, it's not organized, but I can get it down. And then like the next day, or I guess two days
1: later, when I've catched up, caught up on sleep, like <laughs> clean it up and get it focused. Yeah. You got to climb out of that rep, but it, it does, <laughs> you know, I think it was Edison that fell asleep with, um, w- with a handful of marbles yeah. over a metal plate. And so the idea was that when, he fell asleep and his mind started wandering because sleep. This is the fascinating part about sleep: is the same regions of your brain that are activated when when you're letting your attention rest. If you're do rest letting your attention rest purposefully, I call that scatter focus. When you activate this default mode with intention, the same regions of your brain are activated then as when you're sleeping. Only they're activated. With, with fury, whenever you're, with fire and fury, whenever you're sleeping. And so when you kind of fall into that, that deeper state of sleep and the, the idea behind what Edison do- did was the handful of marbles fell. He lost control over his motor, motor system that woke him up and he captured whatever ideas were on his mind at the time. Uh, it, it was this, this fascinating strategy that that he used and that that other people, you know, so many ideas come to us in our sleep. Sometimes we we wake up because something is so powerful, but we're usually not aware of them. And so, uh, you know, it's definitely not a long-term recipe, but if you have the freedom and flexibility to do so, sometimes you will become more creative after that state.
0: Yeah, Salvador Dali did that too. Yeah, that's who it was, yeah. Yeah. We wrote an article uh, about that, He he would
1: have the keys dangling over metal and then fall asleep, I think.
0: Yeah, like a pie pan or something. So we have these two stages we can be in. We can be in hyper-focused, scatter-focused. And so you make the case, like you need to be strategic about using these. So there's a time to be focused, but there's also a time you need to allow your mind to wander so you can get these yeah. new ideas, you can plan for the future. So, I mean, I mean, what would like a, a schedule look like where you're, is, are you alternating between the two? Are there certain times of the day when you should do hyper-focus, scatter-focus? What is, What would like a day look like for somebody, an average person?
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I think it begins with, uh, setting an intention, or uh, the the way I recommend it is over the course of a week. And what what I personally like to do, what I find works really well, is at the start of the week, I ask myself, Kate, how much will I need to be productive this week? How much do I have to focus on? How much do I have to write, for example? And how much creativity will I need this week as well? And that kind of dictates, you know, I, I don't, yeah, I'd be lying if I said I overthought this. You know, it's a thought that I have when I'm setting my three intentions for, for the start of every week, because, because this is what allows me to, to accomplish what's important. And, and you know, i probably spent five minutes looking at my schedule while I'm setting these intentions and thinking, okay, how much focus will I need this week? How much creativity will I need this week? And depending on that balance, I'll schedule bouts of time for entering into a state of total immersion, where I tame the distractions ahead of time, and also finding a few things to do uh, if I need the creativity, which I usually do, because not only do we get the creativity, we also get the planning stage, which helps us work more deliberately. We get the rest resting stage. And the best tip that I could give, that, that I offer up in the book, uh, and that I'll offer up now for entering into this this intentional state of mind-wandering, is to do something habitual At the same time that you do it. And so, you know, maybe you can let your mind wander a little bit, which is good for capturing what's on your mind. Or if you're chewing over a specific problem, it's, it's nice to keep a problem center of mind and, and kind of, you know, chew it over as you go for a walk. But when we do something habitual at the same time that we scatter our attention. So when we take an extra long shower, when we swim laps at the pool without any music in our ears or maybe a simple bit of music, because when music is simple and it sounds familiar to us. It leads to greater, uh, greater focus. Just a side note on that. One of the, the fascinating people, maybe one of the most fascinating people out of the many that I talked to in, in writing this book. His name is Jerry Martin and he's composed music that hundreds of millions of people have consumed and bought but yet nobody knows his name and it's because he designs video game music he designed the soundtrack for Sims and Sim City and when i interviewed him he said that the most the, the music that's most conducive to focus is simple. And so there are very few elements and it's familiar. And so when we, when we listen to music, when we're doing something habitual, it lets us focus on what we're doing, but doing something habitual, curiously in research, it leads to the greatest number of creative insights. And it's fun. You know, we're able to rest while we scatter our attention because we're doing something that we love and while we periodically check up, uh, check up on what's on our, on our mind so we can capture these ideas. And so, you know, when you start the week, I would recommend asking, "Hey, okay, how much focus will I need this week? What distractions will come up that I haven't tamed? Can I create a distraction-free mode in which I can become totally immersed in what I'm doing? Are there more opportunities than usual to let my mind wander? Is there a place I can go to focus deeply on a project?" And then, you know, don't overthink it, but structure your week a bit around that idea where you can get ahead of your attention. Uh, you know, that's kind of the theme that that courses through the book, I think, is we have to get ahead of our attention. We have to tame distractions ahead of time. We have to think about our week ahead of time. We have to think about what we're doing uh, throughout the day ahead of time. But by doing that, we can become a, a lot more productive as well as creative.
0: Yeah. One of the my favorite mindless tasks to get you in that sort of scatter focus mode is walking. A lot yeah. of great, like Immanuel Kant... I know he like people could time, you know, set their watches for the time when he would go walk by the time he went walking. Like he he just used that time and he probably came up with ideas. Thoreau did that, Nietzsche, Darwin, a lot of these great, like they would work really hard in the morning and then they would take a break and walk for an hour or two and then they'd come back and work a little bit more. Well, hey, uh, Chris, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book?
1: Yeah. So the book is called Hyper Focus, How to Be More Productive in a World of distraction and it's available in bookstores everywhere support your local bookstores i like to say because i know many of them and they're all fun people who love books as i'm sure the folks listening do too but it's available in e-copy it's available on amazon wherever books are sold and yeah uh, thanks for having me on all right chris bailey thanks so much for time it's been a pleasure yeah it's been fun my guest today it was Chris Bailey. He's the author of the book, Hyperfocus,
0: How to Be More Productive in a World of Distractions. Available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. Also check out his blog, alifeofproductivity.com, where you can find more information about his work. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash hyperfocus, where you can find links to resources, where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the show, you've got something out of it. Appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think can get something out of it. As always, thank you for your continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.